connect to them. Dry bones easy, go connect to them. Dry bones easy, go connect to them. Dry bones now hear the word of the Lord. Hey, welcome back to the Boney Island Whitefish. Uh, I am Andrew, here for episode four with my good buddy Riley. Hello, Riley. Hello. Hi, how's it going, everybody? Fantastic. I'm all boned up. Yes, I'm ready to bone down. Uh, I've got, I've got a, a, an intense bone. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, Keep going. I'm almost there. Pass. You just woke up, so we're going to forgive you, and instead we will introduce our very first guest on this here podcast, phoning in from the Durstverse. Uh, it's one of the two hosts who make up the Take a Look Around podcast, which as far as I know is the only new metal themed movie podcast happening out there. Uh, it's our dear friend, Sean. Hi, Sean. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Raleigh. I have a boner. Hey! <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was going to be I have a bone to pick or something for a second there, and then it stopped in a very pleasant way. No, I yes, have a boner. <laughs> just, just a regular old yeah. turgid boner. Meat and potatoes. It's seeing all that David Boreanaz. Oh, mama. And if just... I'm to understand correctly, Sean, um, you've prepared some facts about the I man have... himself, the square-headed hunk of love, David Boreanaz. That square-headed, spike-haired Adonis. Like, what if Bart Simpson was real and super hot and also of <sighs> age? You're giving me another boner. Now, when Andrew invited me onto the podcast, I was relatively unfamiliar with the phenomenon that is bones. My instant thought was that we were watching Castle with Nathan Fillion, which upon having a look at both of them, they're pretty much interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I like to come in with, I'm not a critic. I'm not a scientist. I'm, I'm not the most learned man in the world, but I like to come in with context whenever I take on a project. So I did a bit of research into David Boreanaz himself. Now, my only understanding, having never seen Buffy or Angel growing up, is that he was just the star-crossed lover in Dido's white flag video. Oh, mamma mia. Fantastic stuff. But as I um I plumb the depths a little further, I've come up with five fun Boreanaz facts about his early life. Now, David oh, Boreanaz is going to give us a lot of context for the episode. Exactly. And they're going to inform a lot of his acting choices. Yes. <laughs> Now, David Boreanaz was born April 8th, 1974 in Odessa, Texas. That makes mm-hmm. him an Aries who is motivated, compassionate, loyal, and strong. Just like Booth. Exactly. <laughs> now, graduating high school in 1992, he was briefly a professional bull rider before an injury cancelled that career. Huh. huh. Unfortunate stuff. Now, in 1999, he joined the U.S. Marine Corps and, despite his earlier injury, was invited to train for the U.S. Navy SEALs, an experience he was able to use for his work on NBC's short-lived SEAL Team program from last year. (laughs) No way. Now, fuck. Assigned to SEAL Team 3's sniper team, he would complete four tours of Iraq with a confirmed 160 kills. He would be awarded several commendations, including a silver star, four bronze stars, and numerous <laughs> uh, military-based commendations. 
Now, Boryans's early life would be dramatized in the film American Sniper, starring Bradley Cooper, <laughs> who previously starred in Failure to Launch with Boryans's Bones co-star, Catherine Winnick. <laughs> oh, look, um, it's never been confirmed that David Boreanaz uh, is the person who shot Osama bin Laden, mm-hmm. but it's also never been denied. Exactly. exactly. I've never seen them in the same room together because he was several hundred miles away with a sweet ass sniper rifle. That's oh, right. Damn. Um, uh, yeah. It's, and, and, and what I find interesting, right, is how all of those experiences as a Navy SEAL in active combat. Um, being played by Bradley Cooper uh, years later, you can Shooting see it all of, from the top of the yeah. Superdome in New Orleans. You can see it all on the screen here, right? Like, um, yeah, um, that, that, I, I have to agree with you, Raleigh. It all comes out in even the smallest <laughs> decisions about line usage, his blocking on set, his operating around the mise en scene of Bones. It all comes out. Like everything from being an Aries to getting killed uh, some years previously <laughs> all of it is there all of it's there yeah. like you, you know when he sees the skeleton uh in this case the cool sunglasses wearing skeleton you can see that there's that moment of recognition between a dead body and an actor who has died Mm. Boreanaz has kind of got a Dr. Manhattan thing going on where he Mm. experiences time not in a linear sense but every moment intersecting at once yeah that's what makes him such a heartthrob it's it's what makes him so strong because he has a lot of time he can do one sit up and then cascade that through multiple timelines and (laughs) then he's got a bulging eight pack Oh, his perfectly brick-shaped body. Yeah, I personally, I like, I like that you can sort of see, you can really check out David Boreanaz's face from season to season and just see it sort of, um, almost uh, shooting down and back up as it is uh, worked on by various people. Um, I, I enjoy that his hair is always spiked up. I enjoy that he continues to be unnaturally yoked for a man of his advancing age. Um, now, he's not Spike in Buffy, is he? Because you keep talking no. about Spikes. He's Angel. No, well, he's good. He's he got, uh, he's got, um, he's always, I just, I, he's got very tall hair. And, uh, in that, that beautiful 2000s era. Spiky yeah. hair. He looks, he looks so good. And in this week's episode, uh, episode four of season five of Bones, the only season of Bones that I will ever watch, um, there's a lot of very, very 2000s-y themes in this episode for me, which I was very excited by. And we begin this week in a, what I would describe as a um, suburban Hawaiian luau block party kind of situation. You know, those. You know, those things <laughs> we've all enjoyed in the neighborhood. The well, American um, dream. The, it's, it's, it's called the beautiful day in the neighborhood. And hey. That's right. Do you, do you think that this episode of Bones might actually explore some of the darker sides of the white picket fences of suburbia? I, I hate it so. when my neighborhood has got a deep, dark secret that I have to <laughs> unravel over the course of getting to know the people around me better. It just really grinds my gears. It's like I, I could be doing something else uh, mm. with my day, like watching hey, a TV show. You know? this, this watching deep, Bones. This deep, dark secret is really affecting the value of my house. <laughs> 
<laughs> that is a prominent theme in this episode, yes. Um, so, we, we're having this big Hawaiian luau block party uh, kind of deal. Everybody's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Everybody is wearing a lei. Um, there's lots of nice interracial couples. Um, there's some token gays. There's, mm-hmm. there's all this kinds of people. This is the dream of Obama's America, isn't it? It is. It really is. This is the change that we were promised, you know? Um, there is some very topical 2009 discussion, um, you know, with a married couple saying to the only gay couple on the street, um, I don't even know why you gays would want to get married, you know? Yeah. I don't even know what the deal is. Why do you want a husband? You can have mine. He's no good. Hey. <laughs> but I like uh, hey, I believe a, everybody should be able to get married and be miserable too. Hey. <laughs> yeah. A, a bunch of Brooklyn joint fitters all moved to the suburbs of DC. <laughs> yeah, I, I like is I, I I like that the actual line is all due respect, I don't understand why gays want to get married. Our house has been on the market for ten months. Nobody wants the American dream anymore. Those mm. that's did they forget it, uh, to it, finish it, the first line? <laughs> Just say, <laughs> ah, well, uh, who knows what we've been talking about? Uh, what I all all that I know is that nobody wants the American dream anymore in two thousand nine. Now it's noteworthy, of course, that um, Washington, where I believe the show is, is set, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Right? Washington and surrounds. Uh, so they would not legalize gay marriage for another three years until November the sixth, two thousand twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rest of the United States didn't get same-sex marriage until 2015. So it is uh, interesting to watch something from this era where they're going, hey, what's the deal with the gays wanting to get married and realizing it actually won't be a whole chunk of time until mm-hmm. that's happening. But we can't really laugh about that because they didn't change those laws in Australia until 2017. And that was a huge shit show. Uh, uh, embarrassing for everybody. One, one thing I want to... Uh, well, no, not the politicians who promised they would do something and then sort of had to embarrassingly embarrassingly walk it back and then almost implement the laws like a sullen teenager being told to apologize <laughs> to someone they pushed like no implement it it's implemented implement it was it was the passing legislation equivalent of being asked to do the dishes and then putting them all in the sink and saying they needed to soak yeah you know um i'll do but, i'll come back and uh, yeah, it's what I what I find interesting as well. Also you mean this. genius, <laughs> the most perfect plan possible. Yes. If I do it badly enough, they'll never ask me to do anything again. <laughs> That's yeah, why I got into podcast. Legalized gay marriage, but then he misspelled marriage. So now we've legalized gay manage. So all of the all of the middle management of the country now has to be gay. But uh, that's Obama grabbing- for you. First they'll legalize it, then they'll make it compulsory. <laughs> that's right. Hey, and then they'll, they're going to make the American dream feeling like an American nightmare. Uh, but gra- so that one sent a chill down my spine. <laughs> one, one thing that happens here is uh, like there's like a there's like a cool fat dad among the many uh, suburban dwellers here. Uh, who, uh, who's like, basically like grabbing the one of the gay couple, like the ripped gay couple's coconut boobs, and then his daughter says, "Oh, grabbing the gay guy's coconut boobs, get a life." And he's like, "I guess I'm the cool dad." And then he turns to a woman and just says, "It would do you good to have a drink." <laughs> 
<laughs> he's on a sea boob diet. He sees boob, he eats it. <laughs> he's just. Oh. It, 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 it really, like, I, here's what I, I told uh, my girlfriend and her sister after we watched this yesterday. It feel like you can tell in the previous Bones episodes where they've really been excited about their criminal premise. In this episode, I put it to you that they had half an idea and they resented writing it uh, because they seem very, very bored by their own by their own script because they haven't bothered to finish any of the lines or make them run together. Oh, it's beautiful, money for nothing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, now, speaking of, I, I do have to say we have been getting you know some some letters, some feedback about the show. And speaking of money for nothing, um, somebody did point out that in later seasons of the show, it becomes even lazier and they start putting in just like absurdly prominent product placement Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the show. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Riley. Oh, yeah. Um, isn't it, yeah, Toyota starts sponsoring them and then they're like, ah, we need to There's chase a them lot this of- Toyota-branded <laughs> helicopter. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's a nice Toyota Yaris you own. It is. I like my Toyota Yaris. Here's Have you a ever clip. noticed that in Marvel films with the Audis? Every single person is, you know, like got an upper middle management job and can afford an Audi in the Marvel universe. Yep. Tony Stark's always got his, his brand new fancy Audi. Mm-hmm. Um, although there is there is a shot from one, from the first Avengers movie um, where like New York is being attacked and they go ah oh, all right we need to formulate a plan and then they all like just run around the back bumper of like a, a it's like an Acura or something that's sitting in the middle of the frame in like showroom position. <laughs> Um, everything around it is rubble except for the car, which is fine. And they all just kind of run around this this car, which is placed directly in the center of the frame at a three quarter angle. It's very funny to me. But uh, yeah, somebody if did you're send gonna, in this If you're going to rob the bank, you know, you don't burn all the money. If you're going to invade Earth, you keep the Acuras in good condition because those things have great right. resale value. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so I'm gonna. I'm just gonna play a little clip here. I'm going to play a little clip from an episode of Bones in which um, they're driving to a location uh, in a Toyota. However, and they pull up out the they pull like up it, out the front of the place they're going to. Is this and season this, five? It's it's not season five. Okay, so this is not as far as I know. This is not canonically Boney Island Whitefish content. This is just an example. This is merely a content, uh, merely a piece of content to let you know how incredibly lazy this show is and becomes. Let's have a have a quick listen. Whoa, ghost driver! How'd you do that? It's called intelligent parking assist. The car guides itself into the parking spot. Wow, look at that, huh? <laughs> Imagine being told that your line in the script was Ah, it's called Intelligent Parking Assist And the car merely guides itself into the parking space And they have all of the shots of her actually going through the process of like Pushing the button on the reverse dash cam thing (laughs) Both And then then she like, she, she sits back and like takes both of her hands away from the steering wheel like she's doing jazz hands exactly like somebody in a car commercial would. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Bones, what it? you uh, got what percent APR? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, 
so, you know, we're all standing around at the luau. Uh, everybody's being American dreamy. And then all of this, all of this popping starts coming from the big barbecue pit. It is an absurdly large barbecue mm-hmm. pit. It is yes. um, whole, whole pig sized mm-hmm. barbecue pit. Uh, and all this sort of popping starts happening. And they're like, hey, what's the deal with this? Uh, so they, they pull the pig out and there's a big sort of layer of burlap underneath that all this, all this popping is happening and stuff shooting through the cloth. And I'm like, move away. Why is everybody gathering around this thing that sounds like bullets exploding in a fire? What are you doing? Yeah, because Bones is going to have to solve her most, de- her most dangerous case yet when an entire suburban neighborhood committed suicide by being really stupid. <laughs> so um, so they, they pull all the shit out and it turns out there's a dead guy in the barbecue pit, uh, but he's also wearing sunglasses that haven't melted for some reason. Yeah, he's a cool. He, he's he a is cool completely course. burned to a crisp, charred. All of his skin and clothing, everything is gone. Uh, sunglasses, though, all good. And it's quite frightening That's to it. look That's at, right. isn't it? This is a network television show, presumably at about seven thirty at night, and we've got this cool as hell charred to a crisp skeleton going on. Is every episode like this? Oh, many of them are worse. This is relatively tame. Well, the last the last one um, had. They opened up like a car boot and there was like just a very hot corpse melting in there. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, at this point, we, we cut to the, the fucking whatever the stupid institute is called where they all hang <laughs> the out Jeffersonian. sexually harass each other. <laughs> yeah, the, Jefferson- right. the, the Jeffersonian Medico Crime Institute for Sexual Harassment. <laughs> uh, that's the one where they all just hang out. All the women are wearing like singlet tops and little shorts, and all talking about who they plan on fucking that week. Yeah. Um, so that they're... comes up a fair bit in this episode, doesn't it? A yeah. little too much, and we're going to get to that. Oh yeah, I I I I just wrote down in my notes uh, to cross my arms and shake my head in disapproval. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this won't so, do. Um, at this point, they reveal uh, a thing that I was not aware of, having only watched three episodes so far of season five of the TV show Bones, um, which is that Booth has a big-ass son um, yeah. who is, for some reason, wearing like a Las Vegas pickup artist's dress shirt. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, I mean, you'll see why he's wearing a pickup artist's dress shirt, because he is still doing the, he's still doing a pickup artist thing of, I have to get a girlfriend... For my dad? <laughs> oh? Oh? The child is also incredibly excited to see a dead body and to the point where he is absolutely jumping up and down. And I have a note here. Child seems to misunderstand social cues and permanence of death. Probably serial <laughs> killer, dot, dot, dot. I presume that that was, since they're introducing him this episode, that he would be the killer. Yeah. Like, it's it's only natural. This is Chekhov's kid. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, it means that one day Booth is going to have to take on his most dangerous investigation. His own killer son. Dun, oh. dun, dun. Bones uh, the next generation. I love it. <laughs> that's right. So um, so they, they dump him off on Angela, who has promises of uh, face paint that doesn't wash off. Mm. And then, hey, uh, Chekhov's face paint, it doesn't later wash off. That's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, also, they got told that well, they were- Why does she have that? Well, <laughs> uh, and in the office too. 
Angela oh, seems no a bit worry. depressed. I think Angela has a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> she does. She does. As I mean, we as we are going to come to establish, she is a horny, lonely woman. She's basically. She's also basically serves to be plot putty, where she just has the ability to do whatever is necessary for someone in the Jeffersonian Medical Crime Institute for Sexual Harassment to do. She's just able to do it, and sometimes that means. A computer does something completely banal, like make a Google search. Sometimes it means that they like rebuild a car, including its occupants, from the ground up with a 3D modeling based on a tire tread. And sometimes it means that she's got like a clown kit so she could entertain a child like a clown from the circus would. And these are all uh, perfectly normal things for a character to do. In the Jeffersonian Medical Crime Institute for Sexual Harassment. Yes, That's uh, kind of what my job is day to day at the dick sucking factory. Uh, that's right. Just kind of jack off of all trades. <laughs> yes. All oh, needs no. will be met. <laughs> so, oh, so earlier when you said you had a boner, you were setting up this joke. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. The, I have the a boner, I have dental, I have medical, annual leave. I got the lot. So, um... You know, they, they get informed there's a cooked-ass corpse over there, so they head on over. Um, as they arrive, Bone says in her typical precocious autistic 13-year-old style, um, ethnographic studies of the suburbs indicate a cultural impulsion towards overt displays of status. Of course, this competitive paradigm can often result in aggression and violence. Welcome to the, the premise of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they Was take at a this look. point I realized that uh, David Boreans is not Bones. He's a character named Booth. Yes. And that Bones is, I want to say, Zoe Deschanel's older sister. That's right. Right. It's, it's I personally would have, I would have called the show Booth, but I'm, I'm getting sidetracked now. <laughs> <laughs> so wait. Typical man. <laughs> but you'd have called the show Booth. So what, Booth would investigate crimes that happen in phone booths, theater booths, restaurant booths? <laughs> yeah, and as quarantine makes larger social gatherings, you know, a thing of the past, and we move towards some kind of booth-based atmosphere in the near future, uh, Booth is going to be something that the people are going to want to see at 7.30 on a Friday night. Honestly, I would, I would love to watch Booth solve Booth-related crimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they already did a feature-length adaptation of this in the movie Phone Booth. Yeah, that's right. That's just what? the that's just the movie edition of Booth. <laughs> yeah, most of uh most of that movie takes place in a phone booth with Colin Farrell playing David, David Boreanaz. Yeah. Yes. So um. They, they have a look at the corpse and Bone says, I think those are reflective lenses that have fused into the super orbital margin. And at this point, uh, both me and my wife said, all right, the sunglasses are going to be some kind of plot point here. Um, my wife predicted that the lenses will have preserved some kind of image in them. Um, uh, that was, and that's so good. That's such a good and idea. I predicted... I predicted that they would have preserved the actual eyeballs behind the lenses and they would be able to ID the body uh, via that means. Mm -hmm. Uh, But instead, somebody standing next to the fire pit just went, hey, those are Mr. Bissett's glasses. (laughs) And they went, oh, that's Mr. Bissett. 
Yeah. Hey, you know what? That's a really good. Um, that's a really good uh, writing trick, right? Is uh, you you introduce a mystery, and then you solve it. Well, I, I would say they it. do actually they do actually serve a purpose later on in the show, and it's really fucking dumb, and it made me mad, and we'll get to that. I really think my favorite part of the glasses reveal where they say, oh, that's Mr. Bissett's house or that those are Mr. Bissett's is they immediately cut to Mr. Bissett's house where a complete stranger is standing out the front of them also wearing aviator sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> like they couldn't have just moved that guy out of the way to avoid confusion for 40 seconds. It's getting very confusing, pal. <laughs> it would have been so much funnier if you wanted to if they wanted to make bones into an intentionally written comedy. You could have done exactly that, but then had someone say, "Oh wait, no. There he is. Who's this in the pit then?" <laughs> um Everybody seems shocked except for the sexy pool boy who pointed mm-hmm. out that they were Mr. Bissett's glasses. Yeah. Uh, and then they, when they do look over at his house, um, there's a, a shot that was very funny to me, which is a woman looking out from behind like Venetian blinds that she immediately like slaps shut yeah. as they all look at her. Uh, and at this point, we are treated to... The Crystal Methods uh, Bones theme, which I'm going to play now. I've decided that in every episode from now on, when we get to the point in the episode where the theme plays, I'm going to play the theme on the show. I appreciate... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm in the Matrix. It's bullet time. Inappropriate workplace behaviors. God, that's good. Andrew, I appreciate you using my episode as the point at which you started playing the canny combination of electronica and rock and roll music that the crystal method would be known for and my own podcast take a look around has a special interest in but we'll get to that later (laughs) (laughs) um so so, um Chekhov's plug right there (laughs) (laughs) A a couple of things to note from before the crystal method um is that when when the hot pool boy the hot pool boy for the suburban neighborhood is mentioned? Not a thing that I knew happened, but I've never lived in a suburban neighborhood, so maybe it is. Um, they're, they're they're the they they're the ones who put the barbecue on in the morning, and also the gay couple because they're written by some two thousand two thousand nine old guys who've just never seen another person. Like the gay couple cannot stop just hitting on and fawning over the pool boy. Um, and also the as fat a hot pool, pool boy, I can yeah. confirm all of this is correct <laughs> and, and factually also, accurate. Also, the fat cool dad. Um, he, they they were like, so what goes in? What's what's in the luau? And he's like, oh yeah, you put some wood chips and some burlap and some chicken wire, some more burlap. And Booth is like, aren't you forgetting something? And his sort of just asshole daughter is like, he means the dead guy under the pig, dad. Stupid <laughs> asshole! <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna like. Act, I'm gonna act out in ways to like to to, to cuck you. Uh, and as we will learn, he is the most cucked man in the world. He is such a cucked man. Oh yeah. So anyway, then the crystal method plays. 
Now we're back. I'll play it again if you like. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because we have yes. to talk. Because we have to hear our favorite character now makes do some wild speculation. Oh, sweets. Sweets, sweets is up time. in the house. So, um, psychologist Sweets, who we all know as the main kid from Freaks and Geeks, grown up except his teeth didn't get any smaller. Uh, he is talking to Kelly Bassett, wife of dead Mr. Bassett in the, in the barbecue pit. Yeah. And uh, Sweets says, uh, you mentioned that you and your husband didn't really fit in with the neighborhood. And Kelly responds, yeah, Kurt put up a solar panel and a wind turbine and it made everybody <laughs> mad. They thought they were pretty ugly. They said they ruined the neighborhood, you know, but he just wanted to save the planet. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Yeah, Damn. with one solar panel and one wind turbine. Done. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm done saving the planet. Planet saved. <laughs> uh, and Sweets describes it as, no, it's a noble cause. Because we are in Obama's America. Mm, that's right. I did like her line as well, that she says that uh, little neighborhoods like that don't have a tendency to forget very easily. Ooh. For instance, Mr. Bissett, uh fed chocolate laxatives to a neighbor's dog and nearly killed it. And they were shunned from that point. And she looks really upset that that was the outcome of her husband <laughs> trying to murder a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and Sweets kind of laughs it off as like, oh, bit of a cheeky man, was he? Poisoning <laughs> people's dogs. Uh, classic jokester. Bassett's wife is Paula Newsom from Barry, who does fantastic work on that show and seems to be, I don't know, daydreaming, maybe on a few Zannies <laughs> throughout this episode. She she definitely doesn't fit in with the like um with the very network TV acting that everybody else does in this oh, show. Yeah. Well, very by by the numbers acting. Also, I want to note that um, before Kurt gave the dog the laxative that killed it, nearly killed it, uh, and then we find out later it may actually have killed it because this is Bones <laughs> and we solve mysteries, it was because the dog peed on the wind turbine. Dogs pee yes. on everything. It's not a big deal. It's, not, it's certainly not like, I saw the dog pee on my wind turbine. The function of the wind turbine has been compromised. They clearly do not respect my wind turbine. I must kill the beast. The dog peed on my wind turbine that will not be impeded in any way by the urine. <laughs> As David Borean said at WWE after killing Osama Bin Laden, the wind turbine <laughs> has been compromised to a permanent effect. That's right. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I also, yeah, I love that. Uh, that, that, yeah. As, as you were saying, Sean, neighbors don't forget a thing like that. No one would forget. So you trying to kill their dog? <laughs> Nobody and anywhere. It's, it's pretty reasonable that they wouldn't forget that. You know, it's not. They're not crazy for being like, you gave my dog chocolate laxatives. The two things that disagree with dogs the most. So um, now we're back at the lab and Cam is checking out the bones, name of the show in the show, you know, with the She's looking at the titular bones. The bones. With, uh, she's looking at them with Dr. Uh, Arastu Vaziri, who is an Iranian intern that we have not yet met in this season. 
Uh, although apparently there are 600 interns uh, present in this show who are all here to do the work of Bones herself so that she can just go out and fuck around with like the FBI, I guess. Yeah, yeah. She, it's, you never um, actually see her do any of like the forensic shit in this show. She just walks around and speculates. Uh, yeah, that's what that's what happens when you get senior. I mean, to be honest, that's almost the most realistic posi- portrayal of any uh, institution at all. Which is the more senior you get in that institution, the less you ever actually have to do anything, and a bunch of underpaid or unpaid underlings just sort of do stuff for you. And uh, you just get to sort of walk around hobnobbing with people from other institutions at your level of seniority, wildly speculating about what you should do. So, um, apparently this character arrived towards the end of the, the previous season, season four. Okay. But we don't want to know shit about season four. No. Right? As far as we're concerned, he has come in whole cloth. He's just appeared as if by magic. season four. Fuck you, season four. So, um... <laughs> The things that were popping that I was concerned uh, without merit may have been bullets um, were apparently little rocks that were getting hot and then popping. And so they're, they're talking over like a, a video call in a video suitcase to Hodgins, who is on the scene. And he goes looking to see if he can find some more of these things. So while he's gone, uh, they're, they're digging through all the shit and the pig bones are mixed up with the regular dude bones. And Cam starts making a big woke deal about how um, Aristu, being a Muslim, shouldn't have to work with these pig bones. And he's like, hey, it's fine. And she's like, no, 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 no. You shouldn't have to do this. And he's like, no, it is fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and hey, the reason Andrew did that accent will be noted in a moment. Yes, yes. Because of says, racism. Yes, <laughs> Because he of says, Andrew's Good old-fascioned Australian racism. Good old-fascioned Australian <laughs> racism. <laughs> Um, and he says, no, it is fine. And, uh, she goes, no, 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 no. Hey, hey, you're a beautiful Muslim colleague and you shouldn't have to do it. And he's like, why don't you fuck off? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and he's like, I'm just a scientist like you. Uh, but then he kind of forgets to do his Middle Eastern accent. And Cam's <laughs> like, huh? What, a, what an insane B plot. Huh? Just like... No. <laughs> What? Can I just... You mean he's got an American accent? This is crazy! Next you're going to tell me he can't do magic. (laughs) I'd just love to point out how deeply uncomfortable this B-plot made me. (laughs) I was very unhappy to watch it. There's and it gets more uncomfortable as it goes. It gets really. terrible every single time the B plot comes up. It gets more and more uncomfortable. Also, the C plot of like just a- 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 the oversexualized child, just very uncomfortable B and C plots in this particular I, episode. I would go so far as to say that I think I'm starting to identify a theme in Bones, which is. Um, plots that they think are meant to be like, I don't know, noble or, or like pleasant or whatever are very uncomfortable. And the things that are meant to be very uncomfortable are often quite normal. Yeah. Um, they have this, this whole thing all fucked up. So basically this dude has dropped his accent and been like, why don't you leave me alone about the fucking pig bones lady? Uh, she is shocked when Hodgkins returns and says, I found a lot of pebbles around the bottom of the wind turbine 
and those motherfuckers are loaded with blood. Yeah. Uh, he Turn. starts digging, and it's just blood all the way down, baby. Andrew, are we suggesting that maybe there was a dark side to the white picket fences of suburbia? There's a blood side, apparently. Yeah, I was, absolutely. I was hoping this wouldn't happen. I was <laughs> hoping we wouldn't uncover a dark secret behind the normal veneer of society. This sucks. It know. was the last thing we wanted to happen, mm. you know? I was hoping it would be some kind of city crime that was dragged out here into the suburbs. But no. no. Turns out people are dog shit everywhere you go. Oh, no. Now, at this point, this, this is where things start to get extra weird. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela, at this point, is babysitting Booth's gigantic kid that none of us knew about. Yeah, for, she's doing again, some face paint on him. For no reason. She, does, does she not have a job? Or is this she, her job? She's like, oh, I don't need to tap on the, the big tablet that controls the supercomputer for the rest of the day. I can fuck around with this kid and talk to him way too much about how much she does or does not fuck anybody. <laughs> uh, I've actually, I have this um, because my, be- I, I, because I, I just, I like to write these things down and I don't have, uh-huh. I, I still forget the, the website that has all the quotes from the show Bones. I'd, uh, I'd like to, well, number one, let me just tell you that it is, um, transcripts.foreverdreaming.org <laughs> okay, and it has okay, a beautiful aesthetic but also I would like to I'd actually like to do a round robin about uh, the notes that we have written for this particular scene in which Booth's son is asking Angela about whether or not um, she has a boyfriend etc cetera, etc cetera. so you go first Riley Okay, I've written down the actual quote, which I'll, I'll, I'll write down here, which is after uh, the child says to ask Angela if she has a boyfriend. Angela, to the small child, says, I'm on a celibacy kick for five months and nine days, which in cel- celibacy time is five years, uh, which is absolutely something very understandable to a child. I've just written down here, is Angela wanting the child to imagine specifically her having sex? How long exactly it's been since she's been dicked down? You yeah, know? exactly. Uh, Sean, what was your takeaway from this specific scene? I'm glad you asked. I have a note here. Precocious child displays willful ignorance to sexual act. Hyphen serial killer. Hyphen child did it. <laughs> 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 oh my um my notes from this scene were uh angela is babysitting booth's kid and telling him way too much about how much she does or does not fuck the kid asks angela if she's fucking anyone she says she isn't fucking anyone due to a celibacy kick the kid asks if his dad can fuck angela angela says she's thought about fucking his dad but is currently celibate <laughs> God, I feel fun. like that sums it up, you know? Yeah, the, the, the actual line is, oh, can't... The actual line is, can't say memory. I haven't thought of that. <laughs> can't say I haven't thought about sucking oh, your dad's yeah. dick. Hey, you know? hey, small child, I have absolutely... I have absolutely strummed my clit to thinking about your dad. <laughs> which is just a bizarre thing to heavily imply, Bones. Yeah, she does. She definitely kind of, um, she definitely insinuates, uh, if I wanted to be fucking, I'd be fucking, but I'm on this celibacy thing, you know? Um, she's not a woman who looks like she'd have a lot of trouble getting laid, and she makes that very clear to this nine-year-old child. 
Yes, you she can't have this. Can't have this nine-year-old child uh, think I can't get dick whenever I want. <laughs> a fun memory from high school of seeing uh, a rainy day pirated copy of the animated DreamWorks film Ice Age, which through some bizarre pirating process had accidentally been overlaid with the subtitle track to the Cameron Diaz Selma Blair vehicle, The Sweetest Thing. Huh. So the mammoth, the saber-toothed tiger and the sloth are all wandering through the ice age, indicating that they are looking for some fuckable older guys, some <laughs> hot daddies. <laughs> it reminded me of this. <laughs> oh, that's a time to learn things, isn't it? Oh my goodness. So, um, so yeah, I mean like this, this, is a scene that I think was supposed to be comedic and just made me very uncomfortable as this yep. kid is just like, do you have a boyfriend? Can my dad be your boyfriend? And she's like, wouldn't mind. <laughs> so, um, so this goes on. We then cut to Bones and Booth and they are in the car. Uh, I love talking their car to conversations. Uh, and here's where I got really mad about the sunglasses reveal. Um, so I, I, think, I think this probably counts as wild speculation. Um, so it might be time to play my new Wild Speculation Stinger. Ah, and it's the last time we'll play it this episode. Oh, no, it's not. Uh, so we're learning, about, we're learning about the sunglasses, which means it's time for Wild Speculation. <laughs> Apparently... There was morning glory pollen stuck between the victim's eyeballs and his sunglasses, leading Cam to declare that morning glories only bloom after sunup. Sunrise was at 5.47 a.m., so we're close to a time of death. That's right. It's the only way pollen could get in there. It's the uh, only time frame pollen could ever have gotten in there. The glasses yep. are normally kept in um, an airtight, uh, like a vacuum. Uh, so that every day when pollen does happen, it doesn't get in there. So I'm sure, yeah, I'm I'm sure that being like trapped under a pig in a big fucking pile of coals for hours and hours wouldn't have had any effect on the pollen, let alone completely disintegrated it. Totally fine. Uh, she then goes on to reveal to everybody that Aristu doesn't actually have an accent. Um, Booth is like, "What the fuck?" And he says it very racistly. Uh, he yeah. proclaims, "What?" He has an accent. His accent is thicker than Ahmed the rug merchant. Ooh. I uh, oh. melted into the couch at that moment. <laughs> I yes. disassociated, floated out the door, and walked into traffic in my astral form. <laughs> yeah, but don't worry. He saved it by saying, was that racist? It sounded racist. And we all, <laughs> we all collectively said... Yes, Booth. It was very racist. <laughs> yeah, is it, this a is this a trope in in the show where Booth and Bones put something in front of their lips, maybe thirty centimeters away from someone, and pretend that they can't hear them? It happens a lot in this episode. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um. So, but this is also another trope where Booth Booth has his normal thoughts, which is, what? That guy has had an Ahmed the Rug Merchant accent every time I've talked to him. Uh, but Bones, being the precocious 13-year-old that she is, declares that it makes sense to her highly functioning brain by saying, 
How is it any more odd than, say, shaving your face or putting on makeup? Checkmate. Yeah, it's the same. This is Checkmate, just, racism. This, this, just, this is Obama's America. <laughs> this just enabled, <laughs> enabled so many uh, like Canadian and American like cane-carrying 18-year-olds who like have a, a layover at Heathrow and then put on a British accent. You know, be like, oh, I just seem to have picked up a British accent to my layover at Heathrow. <laughs> why, why, do I, why do I get the feeling that Nathan J. Robinson saw this episode? <laughs> oh, um, so that's all fine with Booth. She's just like, whatever. Man wants to do an accent, let him do an accent. Mm-hmm, that's um, right. Uh, doing anything is just like shaving or putting on makeup when you think about it. That's um, right. Yeah, well, I, I've decided to come in to work on stilts. Uh, that's like shaving or putting on makeup because context is nothing. Um, the, that these things might be socially meaningful. That these things might be, um, let's say, some might be more significant. All of these things, which should be serious input variables, when someone is what like Bones is, who's like a you know whose whole thing is like I'm a human computer. These things should be considered, but no, she's a precocious thirteen-year-old who's like, yes, well. That's all very, that's all, that's all, no, nothing to see here. Just someone putting on an accent for his job. Um, pretending, yeah. to, pretending to have a thick accent the whole time that you are at your workplace is the same as wearing a hat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Thank yep. you, Andrew. You have summarized that for me. So uh, back at the lab, we determined that there is a puncture wound somewhere on the bones and a little like sore wound. They can't figure out what they're all about. Hodgkins, Hodgins turns mm. up. Uh, with a bullet that he found in the thing and is like, that's how he bled to death. Uh, Booth then interviews a neighbor who is for some reason being a massive asshole throughout mm. the whole interview. Oh, uh, I've, got, I've, got, I've got a good line from this interview. When they were like, why did you move to suburbia? Um, and he's like, you know, they call it a cul-de-sac, but what it is, it's just a dead end. Damn. Here's where we That's get That's uh, our... Diedrich Bader from American Dad. He plays the fish. <laughs> <laughs> Here, this is where we get, like, the next theme of the episode, right? Which is the watches Desperate Housewives once and then is like, oh. look, we've... Every previous episode of Bones has been wa- just completely wild, unrealistic, um... You know, portrayals of crime solving that's nearly magical. Time for a critique of the American dream. <laughs> it's just oh, this yeah. strange shift in tone from episode to episode. There is so, um, a very, very deep Desperate Housewives vibe to this. Was oh, this absolutely. The, this is long past the peak of Desperate Housewives, isn't it? Oh, very much so. Uh, yeah, so Desperate Housewives was 2004. But it did yeah. go for eight seasons. So this is kind of smack bang in the middle of it. They just picked I- up a TV guide and were like, what can <laughs> we, uh, what long past the post show can we riff on? This, uh, this shitty neighbor claims that Bassett ripped him off for $5,000 for an extra phone line, presumably to hook his 56K modem up to or whatever. Um, and, you know, there's, there's reasons for him to have beef with him, but. Nothing that dramatic, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, Cam informs Sweets of Aristu's loss of accent, his miraculous loss of accent. Uh, in another thing that I believe should make you shrink into the couch, Sean, 
uh, where she says to Sweets, Aristu Vaziri, our Muslim intern, he's been faking his accent. At first, I go where everyone else goes, you know, terrorist. Uh, to which Why Sweets would that replies, ha- oh. wouldn't a terrorist fake not having an accent? <laughs> it's also 2009. Like, yeah. th- that's so far into the piece. <laughs> wouldn't so a very terrorist- very far past 9-11. Wouldn't a terrorist fake not having an accent? That's, um... I think that's just that's called co- not having an accent. Yeah. Like, it's just, these are like the, I love that this is also supposed to be the FBI and the sort of the top uh, criminal, well, it's not, not criminal minds, it's a different show, but the top like <laughs> um, uh, crime solvers and stuff in the country. And they say the line, wouldn't a terrorist fake not having an accent? <laughs> It's almost as if the law enforcement institutions in America are operating on some kind of unconscious bias. Hmm. I've never thought of that before. <laughs> but also, now, speaking like, of unconscious biases. Yeah, go ahead. Next, we have Sweets coming to explain the nature of the suburbanite. Now, um, I actually wrote down in my notes, time to deploy the wild speculation theme. Oh, okay. Uh, now, I should note that this entire thing that Sweets comes out with is peppered with lots of, like, um, dueling dialogue from Bones about how anthropology is the same thing as psychology and is better and all this sort of stuff, and it's fucking insufferable. But anyway, it's time for Sweets to do a little bit of wild speculation. Sweets proclaims, <clears throat> Suburbanites tend to put too much emphasis on their outward accomplishments. This creates a sense of detachment. The inherent uniformity and shared ideals of a planned community suggests that the neighborhood can be psychologically analyzed as a single dysfunctional personality. You should deal with yep. these people as separate elements of one big collective personality. Identify the threat that Kurt Bissett posed to their psychological equanimity and the killer will emerge. Uh, and yeah. everyone's like, okay, That's right. bye. We're going to base a murder investigation on this. Off the idea that um, like the neighborhood is someone with multiple personalities. <laughs> or even on, on, on the basis that like, again, on the basis of what a 13-year-old's criticism of life in suburbia, you're all the same, man. <laughs> You just want your grass cut. You don't care about what's happening in Iraq, where there are terrorists who are putting on accents. Maybe the real uh, terrorists don't have accents. I'm the Bobby you threw away. I'm the Bobby you threw away. I put the system on trial. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, in fairness, they absolutely don't care about what's happening in Iraq. So... Uh, Sweets also hassles Booth a bit about his um, son's boner fascination mm-hmm. um, and says, hey, uh, he actually wants like uh, an example of a father who can communicate effectively with the opposite sex. Try being normal in front of him. And Bones is like, fuck yeah, that. Booth is Sorry, like, Booth, no. Booth. Yeah. Booth is like, absolutely not. I will continue to be a psychopath around women. Yeah. And uh, also, I, I, I'd really like as well that Sweets, like, anytime they have to explain any of the theories behind any of what they're doing, they're like, look, 
We're going to have him do like the Psych 101 thing. We're going to have him list list the stages of sexual development from Psych 101 as though they're just, they're not theories, as though they're not just something Freud said a while ago, as though it's like, well, here are the five stages of sexual development. Your son is between this one and this one. As, again, it's a kind of science. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just an absolutely... I mean, I know this is a bad complaint to make, right? But just a, a non-existent understanding of, of the social sciences from the writers of the show Bones, which is about anthropology. It really is a Wikipedia level of research. They're like, hey, we need some dialogue for Sweets to say, can you just whack up the list of like sexual function? And it's the bullet points. <laughs> yeah, can you guys Google psychology? Um, so... Booth takes this powerful knowledge and heads back to the crime scene where he is hard at work with several pieces of paper, one of which is headlined Motives and reads Sex, Money, Doggy Laxatives, Phone Line. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how we know he's one of the FBI's best agents. Also, why has he just come to the crime scene to just look at his notes and look at the houses? And go, uh, money? Which of these, just holding up this phrase doggy laxative next to the houses and waiting to just for an insight to drop from the heavens. I should also note he doesn't have a notepad. It is just a handful of loose little pieces of paper. <laughs> and he flips over. I noticed that as well. I thought that was adorable. <laughs> just a pocket full of paper. He, he flips over to the next sheet headlined alibis. And this has two entries, one of which is in the middle of writing. Bike ride and home sleeping? Question mark. Now, Hodgins arrives. For some reason, they all know where each other are at all times and can just sort of front up and tell each other things. Uh, He arrives to state that the sore wound in this guy's shoulder had three different things in it. Three different organic remnants from three different plants. And each plant was from a different front yard. He points all around as if to implicate the neighborhood as a whole. Mm. And they say, boy must have been chopped with a saw like the sexy yard boy slash pool boy is using. Yeah. Uh, so they decide to interview him. It turns out that he is having sex with everybody and also has some cool alibis. Oh, uh, uh, so also I have some quotes here uh, where Booth is like, come on, young, hot, suburban gardener. And Bones is like, you're a trope. That's not a trope. I've never heard of it. Mm, having sex with the suburban gardener, are we? Like the classic young, hot suburban gardener because, that we like, all know and love. Because I'd love like, to have sex with the guy from the Jim's <laughs> mowing van. Because <laughs> there's like that's not a trope, first of all, and secondly, like it, the actual suburbs in actual America are tend to be you know like quite cheaply built McMansions. They don't have services. I don't think they have services. Like oh yes, and we've got a gardener and a pool boy. It's a gated community. Like nah, it's just. It's just a place where you have a house really far outside the city. That's more or less it. So he reveals that he is fucking... Um, who does he reveal? He's having uh, sex with... The burb hater Everyone. Wife. He's fucking everyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, specifically, he's having sex with the wife of the guy who uh, hates the suburbs and said it's uh, American Dream Feel Like American Nightmare. And he's also having sex with the church lady's daughter. And it's emphasized Uh, repeatedly that she's 18 on no fewer than four occasions. He says, uh, 
she's legal, which is a cool thing to say to the FBI. <laughs> Yeah. He also says plus it was her idea and just oh, wow. moves his moves his like rook into checkmate against <laughs> the FBI's king. So um at this point I started to feel that there was a powerfully stupid reveal coming about the killer or killers in this episode. Um they then interview the housewife. Um we're getting more of this like crackling anthropologist versus psychologist dialogue here. Um, uh, are they interviewing um, Fat Guy's wife at this point? Is that the deal? No, this is uh, the suburb. I think this is the suburb hater's wife. She's suburb a therapist. Hater's wife. Yeah. She's a therapist and she's like, uh, she has one exchange with Bones and says, oh my God, she's an anthropologist. Yeah. Which oh, made also me want to throw a specula- brick through the TV. There's some wild speculation here as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is wife. White, the, the white woman says, I'm a trained therapist. And when I looked at Kurt speaking to Paige on the street, I oh, could immediately yes. tell their relationship was sexual. That, I wrote this down. <laughs> um, I wrote this down. My note was, she has used her powerful psych abilities to witness a conversation between the 18-year-old daughter and Kurt Bissett and determine it to be clandestine. And mm. apparently this is good enough for the FBI. Well, She's a fucking it's bulk build wellness counselor is what she is. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and what what now what and what's and so all basically a lot of people are sleeping with a lot of people. So the gardener is sleeping with the therapist and also Paige, the eighteen year old daughter. And the 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 therapist knows that Kurt Bissett was also sleeping with Paige, the eighteen year old daughter, which just makes me think about the writers. Like, did they? It, did, are they involved in some kind? Co- are they involved in a lot of sort of strange sex rings? Or again, have they just watched Desperate Housewives for some reason and been like, yep, time to make a Desperate Housewives themed episode, but where everyone is like a cut price actor? Eight years after the fact. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's finally time to parody Desperate Housewives on this, the show Bones, season five. <laughs> so at this point, for some reason, Sweets has to interview Aristu, the Iranian intern, uh, because as Cam described it earlier on, crazy is your department. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Sweets says, hey, this place, the Jeffersonian Medico Institute for Sexual Harassment, they see things in very black and white terms. And Aristu says, uh, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, comes with the gig, we're scientists. And Sweets says, yeah, but unlike any of them, you're religious. I mean, maybe some of the other people there are religious. They're just not like the wrong kind of religion is the, the kind of vibe yeah. I'm getting from the show here. <laughs> the, um, the whole thing as well where they were like, yeah, you're just a kid from the sticks of Iran. Yes. <laughs> I love that. The backwoods of Iran. <laughs> yeah, like, Popping like, down to the milk bar to play t-ball. <laughs> this <laughs> the is suburbs of Tehran. There, <laughs> there, there seems to be some like fundamental misunderstanding of reality here as the show insists that by, by putting on a thick Middle Eastern accent, he would be harassed less by his co-workers. Yeah, because they wouldn't expect as much of him is the logic of the show. <laughs> Yeah, or or that they would be more understanding of of like you know someone from from the sticks of Iran adhering to his like hocus pocus mumbo jumbo religion bullshit than if it was someone from a real country like America. 
That's yeah, the, absolutely. That's the message we seem to be getting. Just like I just, also just love like the idea here. It's the it's the, here at the Jeffersonian Medico Criminal Institute for Sexual Harassment. We believe we held everyone to a very high standard, unless you're from like I don't know rural Isfahan province, in which case you can just come in here and do whatever because this is Obama's America. I love the idea as well that his reasoning, or I think the writer's reasoning, is that he's only going to be taken seriously at the job he was hired to do yeah. if he lies constantly while doing the job he was hired to do. It is a, a very interesting choice. I think we can all agree. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to start speeding up here. Because we're going yes. along, and yes. and we've got all of this plot to get through. So, uh, Bones and Sweets, they're now in the car on the phone to Cam, who explains that there was potassium nitrate in Kurt's blood, also known as saltpeter. Um, we now have this long digression about saltpeter being used to try to kill boners. Mm-hmm. Um, By Catholic right. priests. Yeah. Catholic priests gave it to us all at my private school to stop us from getting big, turgid boners, says Booth. And they're like, did it work? And he's like, not on me with my big boner. Yeah. This is him being normal. You know, so, he's taking Sweets' advice and being a positive yeah, it, male role model by talking just, about how not even salt Peter could kill his boner. It doesn't affect regular. his attitudes towards sex as an adult at all. <laughs> Something that a Catholic priest did to him as a child. Not one bit. <laughs> yeah. Just hanging out and being very normal. So we, we wind up getting the reveal that it was Kurt's wife, murder victim Kurt's wife, who was trying to get him to stop fucking the 18-year-old by poisoning his boner. Yeah. Now, must be time to reveal the cause of death. Uh, Cam chimes in to say, we've been saying that the two wounds that we found on this victim's body wouldn't be enough for him to bleed out. Uh, Bone says, but with the saltpeter, he could have bled internally from even minor soft tissue damage. And that you can get from the saltpeter, which also acts as a blood slash boner thinner. Cam says, we'd never have seen the evidence of that after he cooked. And Booth says, we've got probable cause of death. Once again, we've gone from, once again, we've gone from like, uh, this guy's wife, Put a bit of saltpeter into his coffee to now we know that that's how he died from like getting punched on the arm by somebody <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly wild speculation folks um and they specifically then they go they go speak with the, the church lady after and she was like yeah kurt was i was fucking kurt and then booth is like he was also fucking your daughter <laughs> Which seemed very inappropriate to me. I was like, number one, can you tell somebody in a murder case that who else the the victim was fucking? Mm. Um, And I also liked in this part where uh, the lady says like, oh, you think that I did it? And and Booth's like, no. And then she's like, you think that this other guy did it? And Booth just starts giving like subtle shakes of his head to each thing that she offers until she hits the right one, which is her own husband. And Mm -hmm. and Booth's like, little nods. He's like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we got to bring a big fat I don't think this is how interviewing is supposed to work. So they interview uh, fat suburban coconut boob honking husband. Uh, who admits to knowing... Well, they tell him about both of the affairs. They say, unfortunately, sir, you have won the 2009 Most Cucked Man in America Award. And they give him his... 
They give him this very small trophy uh, for, for having both his wife and his 18-year-old daughter fucked by other people. By some like fucking- a tiny flaccid dick. By- yeah. <laughs> yeah. By- just fucked by some hippie with a windmill. <laughs> oh. At this point, he says, uh, I would have killed him, see, if I had known about these, and no jury in America would have convicted me. <laughs> and Bone says, quite correctly, they probably would have. <laughs> that's, that's the only moment of comprehension anyone has in this episode. The <laughs> of only, course they would. <laughs> the only accurate thing Bones has said is like, I mm. feel that if you murdered a man in cold blood over an affair, you probably would have got convicted for it. But here's the thing. They would, he wouldn't have murdered him anyway because Kurt Bissett and I had a business together, says Big Fat Bob. Um, which, again, just it's what a piece of shit is Kurt Bissett. It's like, oh, I'm going to store all, I mean, I, I'm going to, we're going to have this business. We're going to store all of our inventory in your garage. By the way, I'm going to fuck your entire family. Yes. Also, I murdered dogs. <laughs> oh, yeah, also, I killed a dog for peeing on my windmill. I've, I've poisoned dogs. I've fucked everybody in the street's wife. Um, maybe he just should have got murdered, you know? Who am I to judge? Might have been a piece of shit. Yeah. So, um, so we established that, that he's, he's been in business with Kurt uh, selling sex toys. And they bring all the sex toy stuff back to the lab to just yeah. kind of poke around with it and have a bit of fun. Uh. But... But we only have eight minutes left in the episode, which means that we are getting back into wild speculation time. Oh, yes. Aristu, who has just decided that he's not doing his accent anymore, picks up a lawn sign and say, just looks at a thing that is kind of pointy on the end and says, this matches the wound perfectly. Mm-hmm. There's no... There's no forensics at this point. He just picks it up and he looks at like the triangular point of a lawn sign, which I would guess matches like any fucking garden stake or star picket in the country mm-hmm. and says, well, so- this matches it. <laughs> so what it, what it was is that they were like, oh, there's, and there's lube on this injury. And they were like, I bet it's the sex lube. Then Aristu comes in and says, no, it's the sign lube. Classic sign lube. <laughs> Gotta lube up those signs. Apparently, there's nothing else in the world with a triangular point on the end that someone can be stabbed with. Nope. Uh, They easily declare that that is the murder weapon. Therefore, it was the neighborhood watch guy who did it. Mm -hmm. Because he's the one who put out all the signs. Time to go and check all the other signs on all the other lawns. Here's here's the thing, though, right? We're going to get some more... um Angela is uncomfortably horny with the entire episode because they're just they've taken all the sex toys into the crime lab and then uh Aristu identifies the uh the, the weapon is the because we think one of them could be the murder weapon and then Aristu identifies that they stabbed Kurt Bissett with a neighborhood watch sign so Angela holding a bo- a big fat dildo in a box is like oh I'm gonna have to put this down aren't I and then Cam's like, yes. And Angela's to Aristu says, oh, you find likely murder weapons way too fast. As though she was having a great time just holding a sex toy. Um, yes, well, to someone as repressed as, as the Muslim guy, <laughs> that, would be, that would be a wild thing to hold. Yes. Um, now, of course, we only have a few minutes left in the episode. Must be time to solve the crime. Um, 
as we saw in the last episode, I guess you can write 59 minutes of a one hour long episode and then just say fuck it and name somebody as the murderer. <laughs> so once again, we've gone back out to the crime scene to just kind of stand around and look at all the houses and the people and wonder if any of them did it. Um, now, as, as we said, there is a, there's like a wound that has a, 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 a kind of shape in it on one of the bones that Aristu was like, oh, pointy end of the sign, that's it. Mm-hmm. They're standing around in the street and they see Mary Kay, churchy lady, and she's kneeling down, um, doing some work on her bike. The alibi of three of these people was that they were all on a bike ride together. She's doing some work on her bike and uh, Bones looks at her bike shoe and, se- and sees the clip on the bottom and says, curved metallic object that I thought might be a golf club. Her shoe. Yes, please play the theme. Uh, it is an act- it's, it's our favorite part of the episode. It's where they say a series of things in succession, wildly speculating and use it to send people to jail. It's wild speculation. <laughs> There's yeah. a curved metallic object that I thought might be a golf club. It's actually her shoes. They also yes. see her spraying her bicycle chain from a can and they say, oh, silicon lubricant. We thought it was <laughs> we thought it was sign lube, that thing that exists. No, it but turns instead out it's bike lube. It's bike I love lubricant. That, I love that she days after murdering someone with implements that she uses to grease up or wear on her bike, she just starts wearing them again. If I eat food out of a bowl that I didn't like, I don't touch that bowl for like two weeks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if no, I this, killed this, somebody with my shoe, I would not wear the shoe again for some time. The statute yeah. of limitations is like, you know, a few days. Uh, now... We, now, we thought that was vague enough that they said, oh, there's a kind of curved shape wound on this bone um, and she has a shape on her shoe. That's a murder weapon. Um, so Bones comes over and points at her and says, you kicked Kurt Bissett in the head while he was lying in the pebbles. And Booth uh, says, you were with James Perry and Elliot Lindbergh that morning. Bones says, the three of you each gave him a separate blow. Any one of you could have taken the saw from the gardener's truck. Mm-hmm. And Booth says, and the sign from the lawn. Mm-hmm. So there you go. They have merely said, either of you could have done it, and that's good enough. Yeah. Whoopsie doopsie, we forgot to finish the story. Uh, they, uh, James, um, guy from the gay couple who is one third of the biking alibi, says, we have alibis. And Booth says, you are each other's alibis. All three of you were together at the time of death. And Bones declares, your alibi just turned into an anti-alibi. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's such good writing. I such fucking love good it. writing. Just, what, who, I want to know more. I'm going to, like, how on earth do you, do, you, do you end up with this as your job? Just writing a story that you forget to finish, lines that don't go together, having the big coup de grace declaration of guilt be, your alibi just turned into an anti-alibi. I, I, I don't understand how that is a job. I feel like they wrote this show in the same way that you hear about Saturday Night Live being written. Yeah. That a bunch of people have an idea and then they go... That one's not too bad. Have an entire sketch done in 12 minutes and we're filming it live. <laughs> That's right. 
Um, it, 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 I think that's absolutely the way you have to understand Bones. It's like we said yesterday, it is a first draft, you know? And, like, the, the director, Gordon C. Lonsdale, and the writer, Janet Lynn, neither of them have Wikipedia entries. Now, so I know. would note here that uh, one of them tries to make a break for it. Um, Bones, uh, sorry, Booth apprehends him mm-hmm. um, with his Navy SEAL prowess. And they say, ah, well, we've got them all with our wild speculation about the fact that theoretically speaking, one of them could have taken a sign from the lawn and poked him with it. <laughs> and That's right. And they say, uh, yeah, that's good. Although we don't have a motive for it. They, they freely say we have accused all three of these people of doing this, this murder. Um, one of them has a shoe with a shape that kind of matches another shape. And the other two, we think were there. Uh, but yeah, we need a the, motive. If we want to- This f- all kind of falls apart at the point at which they say, no, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, thought we had them. This, ah. yeah, th- this all falls apart at the point where you get to court and say, prove it. Um, prove that I did these things. <laughs> so- so they say, oh, the only problem is that we don't actually have a motive. And that causes them to call Sweets down to the scene, um, who does a whole bunch of wild psychological speculation attributing the motive to everybody being mad at the wind turbine, which has never been proved in any way beyond Sweets just saying, oh, that's the big crime in a suburb, upsetting the order. Job mm-hmm. done. Everybody dusts their hands off and sends these three to the electric chair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is the preferred execution method in Washington State? Is it electric chair? I well, they're only doing um, they're only doing the lethal injection these days, and even then, a lot of the time they can't get the the good chemicals for it. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to need to go back to doing the Anton Sugar um, <laughs> pneumatic cow drill to the head you know yeah that's right that's that's where bones bones booth and their gang of uh, horny friends just sort of get together sort of walk around a crime scene for about an hour or so and then just kind of improvise what they think might have happened and then a bunch of people get a pneumatic hammer to the head yeah so um that's our a plot all wrapped up which means that we got to get back to the lab where we are wrapping up the b plot by having a religious interrogation of a co-worker Uh, So, Hodgins, who's been mercifully absent throughout this episode, uh, asks Aristu, How do you balance an archaic religious belief with a life devoted to science? I also have written down this quote. I feel like they wouldn't have done this episode with a Baptist co-worker. Yeah. I get a strong feeling that they wouldn't have called, you know, like an evangelical co-worker... Um, archaic with his bullshit and, uh, religion. And Ahmed's, sorry, uh, is it Aziz? Aristu's. Aristu's uh. um, answer is that Allah created the mystery of the universe, and as a scientist, it's his job to try and discover it. Not very well so far. And everyone just kind of laughs at him and kind of takes a swing and is like, two for flinching, pal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Um, that, I was going to say, right, like the, you, the, the like, 
the Amish are, uh, from the previous episode were treated sort of more um, sensitively and very uh, reverently. Yeah, reverently. And then you, and then this guy is like, oh, he's he's faking an accent, like Ahmed the rug merchant. Ah, oh, archaic religion. Bleh. Um, and it's just like, man, come on, co- come on, writers room of bones. What's going on? Apart from the fact that, like, um, the vast majority of people who have worked in anything that you would consider, like, a professional or corporate environment are very used to the idea that you just don't talk to the people you work with about this shit. Maybe you do if you're down at the pub after work and it's outside of the office and after work hours and you've all had a few beers and you feel like getting into something. Uh, Maybe. But I'm not sitting around at the fucking office interrogating somebody about, like, why their personal belief system is horseshit to me. Um, yeah, but this anyway, really so, wouldn't fly at the dick-sucking factory. No, absolutely not. Um, now, I want to get through the rest of this exchange here. So, Hodgson says, how do you balance an archaic religious belief with a life devoted to science? And Aristu, quite reasonably, says, this discussion is exactly what I hope to avoid by doing my um, vocal blackface, you know. Mm-hmm. Cam says, it's not our fault you let the accent slip. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bit of a... Okay. Uh, I mean, okay, kind just of, proving, kind of proving him right, but okay. Yeah, Aristu says it, it very much is. Aristu says, uh, as as Riley had written down, there is no conflict. Oh, sorry, as uh, Sean had written down, there's no conflict between Allah and science. Allah created the mystery of the world, and science struggles and mostly fails to explain it. But the search for truth is honorable, and I honor Allah through the search for truth. To which Hodgins replies, "I get that, but what's with the kill the infidel routine?" Yeah, what's with that? Uh, to which Aristu replies, It's times like this, I wish I drank alcohol. Funny musical <laughs> cue, B-plot is wrapped up. Oh, no, and then he says, uh, he actually corrects him. He says, actually, I prefer enslave the unbeliever. And then they're all like, oh, he's going to enslave us. And then he's like, just kidding. It's a joke, you fucking idiots. And then, to indicate that they're all friends now, they ask him a question about basketball. And like, hey, he's just a normal guy. Now we know that you are normal. Yeah. God Which damn. they immediately pivot after his incredibly normal answer to if all of the Christians and all of the Muslims fought each other, who would win? As if his deeply held cultural beliefs are some kind of bizarre basketball game for these heathen Washington Jeffersonians. It really does. Um, it really does foreshadow many years of workplace bullying that this mm-hmm. dude is going to receive, doesn't it? Well, that's the thing. That's what, when, when David Kilcullen wrote, um, wrote the counterinsurgency manual uh, on uh, or coin, as it was called in U.S. military doctrine, uh, they said that really what the important thing is to win the hearts and minds of the people, you have to land and then ask them about basketball so they know that even though you've been a racist <laughs> piece of shit, for the entire time you've been associating with one another, now that you finally made a good account of yourself as not going to try to, by yourself, engage in some kind of one-man white slavery operation against your colleagues, that you're going to be treated normal. <laughs> no, I know you're a real person. After burning down their village, you should ask them what their favorite episode of Bones is. Yes. <laughs> So, um, with the B-plot wrapped up, it's time to wrap up the C-plot about who Booth should be fucking. Um, so, 
Bones has been saying, hey, you should just answer your shitty son's questions, you know? They're in a diner, they're having food, the face paint has not washed off. Hey, Chekhov's face paint. Chekhov's face paint. And, uh, you know, so Bones asks this shitty kid, so why, why do you care about your dad having a girlfriend anyway? And he's like, so I can have a pool. Yeah, and, that's right. And uh-huh. Booth says, what, 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 what? Uh, the whole reason you wanted me to get a girlfriend so you could have a pool and his son Parker, shitty name, uh, says, mm-hmm, why else would I care? To which yeah, uh, Bone says, there is a pool in my building and gives them both a key and says the two of you can use as my guests anytime. And Parker mm-hmm. says, awesome. That's awesome, right, Dad? And Bone says in just absolutely perfect bone style. No, not awesome. Simple Socratic method of solving a problem. Oh, and at this right. point, I abseil through the window of the cafe and put a bullet <laughs> right between Bones' eyes. I have a final note written down here for the uh-huh. episode on my notepad, which is the child continues to misunderstand <laughs> sex and... Upon realizing that his father was poisoned by Catholic priests as a child and continues to display bizarre attitudes towards the women in his life, will grow up confused, disgruntled, and possibly psychotic. Massive serial killer. Um, I do need to introduce a new moment for the show, which is the bones count, which is how many times the word bones was spoken during the episode. And for this mm-hmm. particular episode, the bones count was 19. I that's had how you know down- you have good writing. That's- <laughs> well, I had it written down for the previous episode, but I forgot to get to it when we were doing the show. Uh, for episode three, the bones count was 29, mm. which has got to be a series high. But that is episode four, the beautiful day in the neighborhood of season five of the television drama slash comedy slash anthropology bullshit show bones Bones. thank you so much for joining us sean uh do you want to give us the plug of course uh i with my sexy silky voiced and creamy co-host alistair bates run a weekly podcast known as take a look around which is an ethnographic look at the intersection of new metal and horror sorry hollywood films that glorious period between 1997 and 2003 in which every major budget studio film seemingly had a team of leather clad hackers vampires (laughs) gratuitous violence and mud vein on the soundtrack Our wonderful Andrew Law will be on in two episodes to discuss John Carpenter's ill-fated Ghosts of Mars. And I'm hoping that at some point Raleigh will join us as well. I absolutely will. Uh, Stay tuned, listeners, to take a look around. Absolutely do. Uh, Great fun show. I had a very good time on there. Uh, Sean and Alistair are sweet, beautiful angels, if you ask me. Mm. So do tune in, give that a listen, and thank you for listening to Bunta Vista slash Trash Future. Presenting and, uh, the Boney Island Whitefish. Bunta Vista slash Trash Future presents the Boney Island Whitefish in the mystery of the pit mess. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, uh. thanks everybody. 
And uh, thanks for your time, Sean. And no we'll talk to everybody next week. Yeah. Bye, everyone. So long.